This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Video games open up a new world to us as players. Just like turning the pages of your favorite novel, video games can transport you to a whole new universe where seemingly anything is possible. But what separates an okay game from a great game is the ability to ground fantasy using some real-world elements. In this episode, I talk with Oscar Britton, an Australian game developer who has a unique take on using real-world elements to build his less-than-real subject matter in the video games he creates. Welcome to Those Who Play Create, the podcast that explores the stories, ideas, and inspirations for some of the gaming industry's best. I'm Lawrence, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, the developer of the uh, hit indie game Desert Child and World's Fastest Pizza, Oscar Britton. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? Doing doing pretty good. Thanks for Thanks for hopping on. I actually, um, just like a little backstory, recently played Desert Child. I got a uh, an email from like like an from my Nintendo account about just like summer games to try, and I saw this at the bottom of the email and looked at the trailer, and uh, pretty much spent like the next two days playing it. So <laughs> I figured I figured it was good to just kind of like to uh, get you on the show. So. For people that are not familiar with your work, would you be able to kind of give us a little rundown, just a little information about yourself? Yeah, um, yeah, I, I'm a game developer. I just sort of just fell into it, I guess. I don't know. Felt like doing it and started doing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I've made a, a few games, and I, I I made one that I released independently on Steam called World's Fastest Pizza, and then I made a game called Desert Child, which was uh, released on PC, Switch, Xbox, PlayStation, everything. And uh, that was published by Akupira Games. That was in 2018. And uh, yeah, at the moment I'm working, I've, I've started a company and uh, we're working on a game called Cardboard Kings uh, where you open your own like game shop um, and run that. And I've um, got a little side project as well called Nanemon, which is like a virtual pet. That's awesome. We'll, well, we will talk. We'll, we will jump into some of the other projects, like I mentioned before we started recording. But I did want to like start with Desert Child because it was, you know, a game I'm familiar with, and it was also just like very, very exciting, and it'll be awesome to talk about. So I think just kind of giving a synopsis of Desert Child, uh, real quick, is you know it revolves around you just kind of, kind of being this uh, nameless character that decides to pursue a dream of winning this mars grand prix when you start the game they've got this old bike it's kind of broken down you get it fixed and then you you know you start racing i think like 
you know, going through the game, obviously, it's it's set in the future. You travel from Earth to Mars and you race, and there's all of these like kind of sci-fi elements to it. But what I what I liked about this game in particular, and I think uh, something that kind of I've noticed through your works is is you have this ability to take you know add in components that really kind of ground the the idea and make it feel a little bit more real so this whole like resource management aspect of this game where you have to make sure you eat and you have to make sure that your bike is up to repair it was kind of really really stood out and and like was it was a cool part of the game so i think one of my my first questions for you is you know was this this mechanic of of grinding in pursuit of a dream while balancing the responsibilities of your everyday life something that like directly came for your experiences as like a solo indie developer? And if so, would you be able to explain how? Yeah, I don't know. I, I have this sort of, I don't know. I think I'm usually attracted to the like the minutia of activities rather than like the big grand adventure of it. Like I always liked in like Indiana Jones, how he's like a teacher as well. And it's like it opens and he does this crazy adventure and he grabs the idol or whatever and then he has to just go back and he's like, you know, dealing with marking students' papers and, and things. And it's <laughs> like, I kind of like the idea that there's like a character, yeah, like it, just I guess in stories, like it always grounds a character more when they're, you know, they're doing something that's the opposite of their heroic kind of persona. You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm just like, what is... I don't know, Superman doing his day off kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, mean that's, a, that's a bad example. Superman's got like Clark Kent and stuff that like, um, you know, like there, there seems to be just like, like a lot of characters, I, I think people just write them or whatever. And I just don't really think about like, how does, when does this person go and does this person eat cereal in the morning or toast? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I mean, and I think that the Superman example works because, like, you know, when he's not saving people, he's writing a newspaper or writing for the newspaper or being a reporter or something. But, like, I, I do like that aspect of it because mm. it's it's like, you know, in a lot of games that you play that would be similar, it would just be like, you know, you're just strictly racing and that's it. There's There's nothing else to it. Like, I, you know, you play like Pokemon or something and it doesn't matter what you, you know, what your character has done or their backstory is. It's just like you're just doing this one singular thing. And, and I think like the yeah, way I think you might have just you just reminded me. Yeah. When I was a kid. Right. I, I remembered um, I had like Pokemon Red version and I remember Pokemon Gold and Silver came out and I remember just like, oh, my God, there's this day and night cycle. And in my brain is like a like seven-year-old kid or something i was like yeah yeah and you'll have to like sleep and and camp otherwise like what are you just going to be like catching pokemon in the middle of the night and i remember being really disappointed when you got the game that it's like you it doesn't affect you at all what the time of day is it just affects everyone else in the world <laughs> right I'm being really disappointed by that <laughs> <laughs> yeah no and i mean like a game like like, uh, I remember when Animal Crossing first came out, that was for like GameCube. That was something where it was like, oh, yeah, you have to come back. People are only available at a certain amount of time. Like story plot, you know, plot pieces or mechanics like that are like that, that I think get add a little bit more depth to the world or are very grounding for players, or at least for, for me. Kind of engages me a little bit more when I know things aren't just like always like when I can really feel like 
a game has been designed to be like lock you out of things at certain points and be like no you don't get that now go and do something else you know i i really like that and i really dislike how in a lot of you know big mainstream games it's just like it just seems to want you to be have access to everything at every moment and just be like you're just constantly doing whatever you want to do and i'm like well you should tell me what to do sometimes that's why i'm playing a game and not just i don't know imagining things (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly and so a more meta question like follow-up for that is is like do you see this uh like grind towards a dream with like while dealing with everyday life because my my take on desert child has been like you have to you know you're you're attempting to pursue your dreams and and just like in real life if you're attempting to pursue your dreams you still need to manage these everyday tasks you still have to you know work eat you know take care of yourself etc otherwise you're not going to be able to make it to where you want to but do you see this like kind of grind towards uh, a dream while dealing with you know your everyday life as uh, you know in desert child or even in world's fastest pizza as like commentary on the game industry or was this just kind of just an idea that you came up with yeah i think a lot of people take that away from it and i think that's probably was something i don't know like subconscious in my brain um but i think it's it's generally like i'm not smart enough to do something like that (laughs) not cognizantly like I, i think at the time it was literally just okay well he's on mars for you know however many days like a few weeks grinding towards something i'm like well it'll be pretty stupid if he doesn't eat the whole time so i should probably add an eating mechanic you know what i mean (laughs) like it was (laughs) literally that simple (laughs) i i think you know i probably at some point was like oh i'm I'm making a metaphor or something um but you know like originally the game was sort of meant to be about like him it was it was meant to have this ending where he sort of like did achieve like he got all this money and then was like oh that's not really what i wanted (laughs) and then it sort of just like never never put that ending in the game because it was just a better ending to just have him finally just like achieve the thing and be happy but also have the little like ironic twist but um yes yeah i i did actually appreciate the uh the ending (laughs) the ending (laughs) in this game and i will i actually will get into that but you know like um I, I see you have have all these like different influences and you know I've I've read some interviews that you did and uh just follow you on social media and I mean obviously like I've seen the release trailer so like you know and and just playing the game you see a lot of um like different references to real world things so like from Cowboy Bebop to to Jay Dilla to like the MF Doom mask that's uh, on the bridge in Mars to an article I read about uh, you know the motorcycle being inspired by like an old Australian muscle car that you own like you do let a lot of your like personal interests and hobbies shine through in the projects you work on so when when making a game like Desert Child you know knowing that like your favorite story uh, type is is one with like a reluctant protagonist or like some really low stakes uh, conflict. What is it in your personal life that that most influences uh, the stories that you work on, whether it be Desert Child or um, Nanoman or Cardboard Kings or anything that you've worked on? Oh man, 
<laughs> I wish I had like a real like philosophical sort of answer for you about like what directs me. I think I just get I don't know just drawn towards things that are just I haven't really seen in in games before or or in film or or in art or whatever I'm doing if I'm writing music or something I just try and do something a little bit new I I generally I mean what what I like to consume that's generally new new things things or at least things that I haven't seen before um whether or not they were actually you know original so I I, yeah, I just kind of want to do that as well just really create something that maybe people haven't seen before and and in terms of like referencing other stuff I guess just I don't know it just stands up in there <laughs> you know yeah no and I mean everybody has like a, a different creative process so do you just like see I don't know something on tv or something and just think like I could probably, you know, like, why doesn't this have this? Or I could probably do this uh, a little yeah, bit better. For sure. I mean, I, I'm always just writing things down that I've seen or, or read or and, and just sort of like nailing them onto whatever I'm working on. So I think if if things come off as, as maybe why people think some things I've made are maybe deeper than they are, I think it's because I'm just <laughs> like, oh, I saw something and I referenced that. So people are like, oh, that must have had like real symbolic, symbolic you know (laughs) meaning and i'm like no i just thought it was cool and i saw it on the news or something but yeah i i i guess i i like to to have things just sort of like change as you work on them i'd I'd really i'd sort of see it as a failure if i started a game and it just ended up exactly how i'd intended when i first came up with the idea you know and so that's why desert chart i think ended up having like a different ending to what i'd intended and it was like tons and tons of notes that I wrote down in like this notebook and I go through it sometimes I'm like what happened to that idea (laughs) it didn't even end up in there you know (laughs) I mean they they say that sometimes you know it's the simplest idea that has the the biggest impact and and I think that really shines through like you know I think that the process that you you do have does a good job uh like you do a good job of of putting the pieces that I guess need to be in games and in there so that works ends up working out really well. Mm. And, you know, going back to um, going back to talking about, you know, the, the the ending of the game, you know, and just kind of that ironic that ironic twist that happens, which which is honestly to me was a really good way to wrap the game up. Um, once I got to the end, I just just found myself like laughing about what happened. But because of that, my personal interpretation of the game was that the journey itself is supposed to be more important than the destination. And this might be another thing where (laughs) I'm either overanalyzing it, which is just kind of like happens from working on lore party for so many years now. But like, so you as the creator, what would you want someone to take away from desert child? If anything at all? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess yeah. That was sort of the the idea was enjoy the the ride a little bit more. It's the spaces in between the exciting parts that that end up sort of sticking with people. You know, I, I'm really happy that people appreciated the the art and the walking around the city and things, and yeah, eating. And I think people understood that that was sort of the game. And that the races were sort of, they were almost there as like 
they're they're like the secondary part of the game, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's sort of just there's something really nice I think about having like a goal that you think you probably never get to because like when you start the game like it feels like you got to get $10,000 and it just seems like oh, I'm just going to grind at this forever and you get there actually kind of relatively quickly but um it's it's nice having something you think you're probably never going to reach I think and just yeah I don't know I mean something I really liked about like being at university and you know just making games thinking like oh no one's ever going to play this is just having that dream of like, oh, one day I'll do this for a living and just being like, oh, it'll probably never happen. And just, I don't know, there's something, uh, you know, really nice about a summer day when you're like, oh, I'm pretty broke, but I'm just wandering down the street imagining how great things will be when I make it or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> I think that's sort of what the game's meant to be about. Yeah, no, definitely. And it, it, it really does come off like that. And I think like what it, it does and another realistic component of it is, is it does force you to be a little bit more creative with like how you attain your goal. Because like I'll tell you my first playthrough, especially like on part two with the Mars Mars part, like I was trying everything to get money and I wasn't putting anything in the uh, the bank account to like gain interest. And then I ended up losing all my money mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to kind of like start fresh again. And then, like, second playthrough, I knew what to do. And I knew exactly how to save. You're making so, it sound like the message of the game is to invest money in, in a bank account <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> gotta be, you gotta be super creative. I, like, there were so many, uh, there were so many things that, like, my first playthrough, I just, like, kind of absolutely either dropped the ball on or it just took a long time for it to click. <laughs> for me so i was trying to just do races when i got to mars and then i'm like oh you can do this and you can do this and this and this you know so like I, like i i feel like um you know another real world aspect of you know playing this game something that does help ground it is that ability to just be able to make money the way that you know you want to do it like if you want to grind out and do races a bunch you can if you want to deliver pizzas if you want to hit up the bulletin board and catch some bounty, you know, do become a bounty hunter for a little bit. Like you also have that option too. Yeah, I, I find it funny that I didn't really think about it when I was making the game, but in, once I finished it, like looking at it, thinking about how, like every game I've made is sort of about having like a job you don't really want, and it's about like I use like money as like a a signifier of progress, and I really I'm I'm not really much of a money person i don't really like i don't don't have like a great deal of money and i'm not that fussed about it if i don't have it but um it it's funny that i always end up using that as sort of like this um central sort of pillar of of my games where it's like it's this important thing that that marks your progress because i really don't think of it like that at all in real life (laughs) so well to me too it's like the way money is in these games and in, in, in like this game in particular, it doesn't feel like like it's not a necessity in life like it is with other games where it's like I have money. I'm going to go to a, you know, an item shop and purchase this thing. And otherwise, my character will be walking around with like outdated gear and it'll get destroyed or something like this one is like I, I, I need money specifically because it's going to help me attain my my dream of winning this Grand Prix. Um, and I think it works a little bit better. Like money it will sustain me until I accomplish my goal. Yeah, I, I think there's sort of like that. That was something I did intend was like I didn't want anything 
to sort of unlock if you had more money in the game because i don't think that's super the case in in real life i think people maybe think that's going to be the case that like your life will change when you suddenly have all this money or something and i don't know if that's true (laughs) i don't know i'll (laughs) let you know if i ever get a lot of money (laughs) i yeah it just like everything you can buy you can sort of buy with like the minimal amount of money that you have at the start of the game it really is just a measure of how close you are to, to getting your goal and that was sort of meant to be originally like the the joke of the game was like you get all the money and it's like oh well that was pointless but i don't know i, I don't know if that came across <laughs> oh oh no it did once i yeah. once I, I lost the grand prix the first time like first few times i tried it and so i had so much money <laughs> yeah i had like i was just trying to put it in the bank and i'm like i have like 80k i don't know what to do with it yeah so orig- originally i think the there was a build of the game that we we sent out to testing and when you lost the grand prix you just lost all your money and you had to work your way all the way and it's a bit it's a bit harsh <laughs> it's like all right <laughs> well maybe i'll just give you some money and then kind of worked out a little bit better anyway the idea that because I, I always love that idea with like sports stars and you're like oh no he came third and he only earned two hundred fifty thousand dollars. damn that's so so bad <laughs> you know like yeah, I right. don't know. I find it hilarious that people who, who lose the match still earn more money than I've ever earned. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I have 35K after losing this Grand Prix. I'm like, yeah. this should be good to, to live on Mars and, you know, sustain yeah. myself. <laughs> and I'm going to keep going back. Yeah. I'm like, I might now just be going back to this for, for you know, for a little bit more money. <laughs> than than actually achieving my dream but i actually do like how money is used in this game because it doesn't like you definitely get to a point where you feel like you don't need money like money isn't the the central focus your overall goal is just winning this grand prix and that's why i think like the ending of the game works out so well and it's so ironic i i, I really enjoyed that part glad thank you oh yeah no problem All right, we're going to keep this conversation going, but first, a quick break. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. So from the the release trailer, you know, to the actual game, I think one thing that super stands out in Desert Child specifically and and a lot of a lot of your works is is the music and i understand that you do all of the music and all of the sound design all by yourself so like you know as someone as someone who kind of favors that that low stakes conflict in a game is like a way of setting up plot 
How do you view the importance of music as like a story driving element or a component of the story in Desert Child or any project that you start since you do handle all the music yourself? I think the music for me in, in terms of like the prominence that I give it in the stories sort of just it's pretty I, I guess you, people could read it differently but it's it's almost just like an egotistical thing for me it's like I <laughs> I always liked making music and I was in a band once and I just yeah it's, I you know it's it's like a nice thing that I can do and if I'm working on a game and I want to take a break I'll just be like, oh, I'll make some music. I'm still technically working. You know, if I haven't got much done that day, I'll make music or something. Yeah, it's just like a nice little little thing to do that, that you can kind of relate back into the game. And, and, you know, I get to release a little album alongside the game, which is always fun, like doing something that it's like its own separate work, but it's, you know, related to something else. Yeah, in terms of like putting it in the game, it, it just seems like, I mean, I, I really can't justify the prominence that I give the music in Desert Child as anything other than me being like, oh, I thought it was really good music, so I made it really important. <laughs> Put it in there. Um, there was, I guess it was like in the races, they, the idea was that you would learn the songs after a while and you would know that like a race was about to end if you kind of heard certain musical cues. Um, I don't think that really worked. I don't think anyone picked up on that, but... I don't know if it doesn't really matter in the end. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's a nice thing. I, I, I like, like, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. There was like definitely a game where you would like buy records, but I can't remember what it was. Some the back of my head somewhere. I always thought that was cool. Like of all the things you could buy in games, like they were always very like, like clothing or something like that. And I think clothing is something that's just so like it's so based on trends like if you want to go back and play like old like even just not even that old like old skateboarding games where like the clothing's like a big part of them yeah you go back and play them now and it's like oh god these chunky sneakers that like i wouldn't wear now. <laughs> or, or i guess chunky sneakers are back in but like they'll have like clothing on like, it's just not fashionable anymore it's like music's a little bit more timeless yeah so if you could kind of like buy music and do that yeah i don't know i, I i'm always sort of like interested how games treat music it's like this very like separate thing in a lot of games or it's like the entire game you know like with a rhythm game it's just like it's just music but you never get a game that's like you know it, it's it's kind of music's like super integral to the experience but it's sort of not a rhythm game you know yeah no definitely um you know actually i make music myself just like a kind of hobbyist beat maker. I'm actually at my desk. I'm surrounded by just a bunch of synthesizers. So I, <laughs> I, I get that. I do like, I do really appreciate music that goes into games. And so especially for me, this is really why I, I threw this in there is because like, <laughs> I really enjoyed the music in this game. Like I, I bought all the tracks and the, uh, in the game, but uh, like the pizza delivery song world's <laughs> fastest pizza uh, it's that the one stood I didn't out. Right, it's the only one. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, the song uh, "Spatula." That's the other one I didn't write. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, yeah, no, those are. Um, I, I wanted originally to have more licensed tracks, and I sort of just ran out of money. <laughs> so I don't remember how because "Spatula" was by Girlfriend Material. I don't remember how I why I decided to contact them and put the 
song in the game. I think I must have like wanted to get a whole bunch of people to put songs in the game and then they were just I t- contacted them and then never got around to contacting the other ones or something. But <laughs> yeah, though it, it was funny that with them though they were um uh, a, a couple of friends and and two brothers uh Dan Osborne and yeah I chatted to him and it turned out like he was best mates with a friend of my girlfriend and lived just like around the corner from me and it was really weird sort of like strange like local experience that's awesome that that worked out i mean yeah. like i liked all the the tracks in there i just like <laughs> I, <laughs> those two were the ones i did a lot of pizza oh, delivery great great vocals on those ones though so that's yeah. Yeah, there was like I, I was just like sitting playing my switch on on my TV. Uh, my fiance was there, and I I had originally purchased Spatula first, and so that was like the song that played the most. And I think by like the third or fourth time hearing it, like we both knew the first verse. <laughs> so like there was just like a part I would just just always caught myself just like saying as it would go by. It was fantastic uh, soundtrack for the game overall moving we'll move away from desert child for a second because i do want to talk about some of your other projects like uh you know world's fastest pizza cardboard kings and nanomon um you know one thing one thing that i've noticed about your projects and you know kind of the things that i've you know been hammering at at this during this interview is just like the way that you you kind of take these like obscure concepts and then ground them in a way that creates a good balance between like fantasy and elements of realism thrown in there. Like with Cardboard Kings, just kind of like looking at the trailer on Steam and seeing that it's this, you know, card shop business simulator with like Yu-Gi-Oh! Magic the Gathering style like elements thrown in there or how like Nanomon blends the like nostalgia of having that virtual pet, like that Tamagotchi with like a... Uh, like kind of like Digimon style world with it. Yeah, I think like I that's that's one thing that I appreciate about your work is that you can blend these two opposing elements together and it's just works out really well. So a question I have for you is, you know, I've, um, you know, read some articles when when doing some research for this episode, you mentioned about how like part of your creative process uh, it's really narrowing down some of your initial like bigger ideas, you know, into something that's that's more manageable. Can you explain how you like manage to filter down your game ideas while like kind of also keeping in those elements that are like uniquely you when it comes to the games that you ultimately create? I, I think in terms of just grounding things a little bit, it, I just find that easier to relate to. You know, I, I used to really like, like Harlan Ellison and like his short stories and stuff and university. And I sort of realized the other day, I don't really like certain things like that anymore because it's like that, like speculative fiction can kind of get a bit like impossible sometimes. It's like, what if this thing that is impossible happened? And you're like, yeah, that's sort of interesting, but I'm sort of like, it's, it's more like, I'm more interested in something like the black swan theory where it's like, what if something happened that, that just changed everyone's perception of how the world actually worked? You know, like that's more interesting to me than, than something It's like, what if this impossible thing happened? Absurdism can be a bit like that where I just get a bit cold from it. Cause I'm not, I don't know that I'm actually learning anything, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, I, I guess 
I mean, so like as a child was just, I just drew the main character riding his bike as like a little pixel thing. Yeah, it was a really weird organic kind of process because it was like, I just drew it side on and then was like, oh wait, this is stupid. I shouldn't have drawn it side. Like what game would ever need a side on right you know there's no side on racing games and i was like well hang on (laughs) if there's none of that then maybe maybe i could make that and it'd be original and then i sort of had this little prototype and i showed it to some people and they're like that looks really cool you should try and develop that and then um i think in my brain at the time develop that meant just add a lot of stuff to it rather than (laughs) like you know i think in, in another universe where someone had sort of seen it you know just given me a little bit more of a direction or something when when I was starting the project, it may have just turned into just a racing game or, or something instead of this big like life sim. But like most of the things that, that if you go through my old notebooks are just like dumb meta stuff that it was like, is this really necessary or is this just me trying to be clever? <laughs> there was like all this stuff like, oh, you've got to play the game like three times to get the real ending or some bullshit. I think like, I guess like as a philosophy, I try to like put up boundaries of things. I, like I know a lot of people say like, oh, what you should set a goal or something, but I find it better to say like, here's a thing that we won't be doing on this this project. So like I think Desert Child was, uh, I, I don't like killing that much in games. So I was like, it's not going to be like a shooting kind of shmup game because it's kind of more of a shmup than it is a racing game. So yeah, that was like a big thing for that. And then like, the idea of like upgrading yourself and stuff. I was like, no, I want it to be sort of like school-based. So I decided it wasn't going to have like these sort of like big upgrades. I guess that, yeah, that's sort of that. Uh, it was a, it was a very weird game that's just sort of like, I just added things and I was like, oh, what can I add that, that sort of goes with the vibe? <laughs> <laughs> it was a very like subconscious sort of game when I was making it. And I think you know, I, I don't really read reviews, but I, I think a lot of people sort of picked up on that and maybe they either loved that or they really disliked that. And they were like, this feels like he wasn't thinking about it when he made it. No. <laughs> to a degree, that was true. Like I, I didn't I didn't have like a hard design for the game. Like I didn't even know like what act two was going to be when I signed with my publisher. You know, it was just sort of like, oh, it'll be just this thing where like you'll go to Mars. And uh, yeah, I didn't really. It's a bad way to make a game. You shouldn't do it. <laughs> People are listening and thinking like, oh, I don't need to think about stuff. You absolutely should think about the end goal. doesn't matter if it changes, but yeah. Because there was this sort of like mad dash, like it was about like four months from release and someone was like, you really need an ending for this game, Oscar. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> shit. Better put one in. So, yeah. I mean, hey, that's sometimes, sometimes you got to wing it. And I think I really, I really enjoy all of this, these things about this game. So, like you know, even if you say like, "Hey, you probably shouldn't design a game like this," I think in this case it worked out well, really well. <laughs> I, I did like I, I tried to sort of justify it. I wrote this little like, like loose design manifesto at some point. I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> And the idea was just like, you shouldn't overthink design. You should just like design multiple systems that all sort of like inform each other and then just sort of do stuff. But it, all it was, was just like me just trying to justify not, not really having like a, a goal or a plan in mind, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. So winding down a bit, you know, you've released two games, uh, you're working on two games and, you know, you, you said you started a company definitely seeing like your fan base 
you know, grow for some of the projects that you're working on. So my, I have two final questions. Uh, first one is, you know, when asked in a previous interview about what inspired you to become a game developer, you said, uh, I wasn't very good at anything else. We'll see if I'm any good at this when this game comes out. Now, having a successful release with Desert Child and having two projects on the way that are gaining attention, how has that changed your your aspirations as a game developer? And um, what do you kind of see next for yourself as a game developer as you continue to grow uh, in your career? Uh, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> This is this will haunt me and it'll be like in five years time I'm homeless or something and it's like, oh really? You thought you were gonna do that? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know really. I, I think as a child didn't didn't really like massively change anything for me. I guess I, I do this full time now, but I sort of was when I was doing Desert Child anyway. So I guess I just I, I would hope that I would just continue to to be able to do interesting things um and different things I, I think i'd like to maybe consolidate a little bit more you know you look at desert child then cardboard kings and nanomon and then i've got a couple of unreleased games that that never quite got there and they're all very disparate sort of genres and and things and i think i would like to find something that i could sort of say is like a bit more my style and just kind of continue to to work on that a little bit more like a particular type of design or something i think that i'm a little bit more scattershot at the moment i'm still trying to find like a particular voice you know like if there's a you know through lines with all my games it's it's purely by accident you know (laughs) and I i think i would like there to be a little bit more consistency so maybe you could sort of look at you know, my games as a whole rather than just like individually or something. So maybe that's what I see. <laughs> okay. I mean, that, I mean, that, that's a good aspiration. I mean, do you see yourself kind of sticking with the like smaller, smaller dev team? Would you ever, would you want to be like a triple A game developer at a massive studio or do you like this, the uh, independent route? There's, there's something, you know, with, with smaller teams like with Cardboard Kings is, is me and Rob just developing that ourselves. I think that design-wise is a much. It's definitely the strongest game that that I've ever been involved with. But getting like more than that, you do start to, whether you intend to or not, like dilute a little bit of the the design voice. You know, it, it, even if you're like, oh well, look, we're all on the same page, and and you know, we're, we're, we all know what we're doing. You're like, yeah, but eventually someone's going to be like, finish a task and not have you know, something to do and you're like, oh, we'll go and add just some superfluous system, you know, go and add a customizable protagonist or something. And you're like, you just, you start to add things just to give people stuff to do, I think would be my worry. Anyway, I don't know if that's true, but I would worry that that would happen. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, at the moment, it, it's just, there's just something really nice about creating something and being like, oh, look, that was pretty much a hundred percent my voice. You know, it's, I think it's nicer for other people who want to like review or, or critique or dig into a game as well, being like, oh, look, I know that this part of the game, I, I don't have to worry that oh, maybe this part of the game was not his sort of intention or something. So they can kind of read into things a little bit more and be like, oh, look, he is problematic or something. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. There's something nice about things being authored by just like one or two people, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, you get more creative control and you kind of like have some breathing room with your own ideas. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know if creative control is necessarily a thing. I think people like to romanticize that a little bit, you know, like I'd have more creative control if I had 10 times the budget, you know what I mean? <laughs> like if I had a lot more money. It, it's. I think it's just like having to find jobs for people to do it, and it becomes like, uh, am I making a game or running a company kind of thing? And it's like, I don't think that I'd be able to make things if I if I also had to like run a company. Like I've got emails here from like the tax office being like, we're going to fine you because you haven't done your things. <laughs> you know, I need to need to get onto those kind of things. I'm just not particularly good at it, but yeah. I mean, if the goal too is to design to design video games, just to do that, that's awesome. Like it is very much, uh, you know, going back to our earlier earlier part of the interview, it's still very much like that uh, the desert child feeling. Like you know, do what you got to do to get to you know what you want to do. You know, like just developing games. It doesn't have to be like a enterprise or conglomerate thing. It's like if you're happy doing you know making games and you know and, and finding that consistency then i think like that is definitely a, like a great goal to have yeah i think i have enough ideas that i i don't think i'd ever get to a point where i'm like oh this idea needs a hundred man team i can't do it otherwise i'd be like well i'll make something else you know i've got enough ideas <laughs> <laughs> that that if i if i let the bigger ones sort of like slide you know or 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 think about how to you know scope them down and make them small i think that generally is is will will produce a a, like a a better kind of more interesting thing anyway you know when when people just make the biggest thing ever with all the money in the world it doesn't necessarily make a better game oh yeah definitely and so then i think my my last question is um my last question is cliche, <laughs> but people have these great game ideas, but they, they don't know where to get started. As someone that has, you know, released, you know, a few projects, you know, has taken them from start to finish on your own, you know, what advice would you give to an aspiring game developer or someone who just has an idea, but doesn't know where to get started? You know, try and work out what your limits are. You know what I mean? If you the, the greatest kind of skill someone can have, I think, if you're in sort of alternative game development, small teams or whatever, is is knowing, like if you if you are if if you were a person who was able to just know exactly how much they could get done at what budget in what time frame, you'd be like the most desirable hire ever for any company. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Because yeah, just just you know the amount of times I've been like, yeah, we can do this in a couple of months, and then it's like, oh, it's like a year later, you know. <laughs> so I think, yeah, but getting good at at underestimating how much you'll get done is good. I think that's a skill that more people need to develop. <laughs> Being able to underestimate how much they'll get done. So there you go. That's my. Apply that, mix that in a pot with other people's good advice, and then you'll be good at game development. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then and I'll add on to that. What is one lesson that you learned from working on like your first game that you feel like might be helpful to someone in that situation? Um, all right, you know what? I've got a good one, I think. If a game is starting to like move in a direction just naturally, if it feels like, oh, this, I had this idea, I really want it to be this, but it works a lot better as this thing. Even if it's got a different message or something, if it just 
feels like it's just like oh it would be so much better if i just did this thing don't like don't push against that stuff you know that's the stuff that will make a game better you know it's like really banging your head against something trying to like make it one thing when when something is like trying to become something else so like like in world's fastest pizza it was like um at some point i I realized i'm like oh it really needs like everything should be destructible in the game and i was like oh it's you know it was a lot of work but i was like i had this very like it was a very slow paced sort of like like a stealth game or something originally and then i was like it worked so much better as just like a really fast paced thing everything's destructible and just exploding and, and breaking and stuff and you know i guess i was worried that i was like oh but it's just becoming like everything else by having explosions and things but that game is still super original and it and, and also it wasn't original being like a slow paced stealth game because that already existed so <laughs> so yeah i guess yeah just just don't be too precious about like your idea because it's not you know it's just an idea i think an idea isn't the thing that just gets you started making a game it shouldn't be like the thing that you like intend to that should be the final game or whatever you know that's really good advice that is really great advice for anyone who anybody that's listening if you want to start a game that you know eh, pay attention to that but don't sue me if it doesn't work <laughs> you know <laughs> don't sue don't sue me either <laughs> and so you know now that we're we're here at the end of the interview thank you again for for coming on and you know and, and speaking with me about like the projects you're working on and desert child and everything do you have any like now is the time plug any projects uh you know plug any anything that you want you know go for it uh yeah i mean follow me on twitter at moomoomang m-o-o-m-o-o-m-a-n-g and yeah i'm I'm making cardboard kings and nanomon Uh, one is a a game shop management game uh, and the other is a virtual pet game and you can find them both on steam and that's about it really i don't do anything else (laughs) (laughs) that's that's my life two two games at the moment hey that's awesome also uh the Nanomon Discord too. Ah, uh, yes, you can join the Nanomon Discord. There's a Cardboard Kings Discord as well. I think both of those are on the Steam page. So if you if you Google either of those games, Cardboard Kings with a K as well. I realized didn't say that. Yeah, it's pretty easy to find that stuff. Find it through Steam and uh, also Wishlist the game. Yes, please. But yeah, thank you for coming on again. Like this was was great. It was nice talking to you. Yeah, thanks so much. It was a really good interview. Well, thank you. And with that, we've wrapped up this episode of Those Who Play Create. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you choose to listen. Stay up to date with the Lore Party Podcast Network by connecting with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at lore underscore party. And if you're in the game industry and would like to appear on the show, shoot me a message on Twitter at produced by underscore LK. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.